Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is the actor Lucas Neff, whom you may remember as Jimmy Chance on four seasons of the Fox comedy Raising Hope. This year, he co-starred in the movies I Love You Both and Fear Incorporated, and he's also in the new TV series Downward Dog, coming to ABC in 2017. Lucas picked All the President's Men, which, come on, Alan J. Pakula's dramatization of Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein's reporting on the Watergate cover-up, an investigation that would bring down sitting President Richard M. Nixon, may not have the immediacy it did when it opened just a few years after the events it depicts, but it still functions as a gripping procedural, a nail-biting thriller, and a terrific newspaper picture. It's the mother of all 1970s conspiracy movies because this one actually happened. Nominated for eight Oscars in a banner year for American cinema, it won four, including Best Supporting Actor for Jason Robarts and Best Adapted Screenplay for William Goldman. It's 40 years old, but it hasn't aged a day. And speaking of things not feeling old, I should note that Lucas recorded this episode five months ago when he was in town for the Inside Out premiere of I Love You Both, but we might as well have taped it this past weekend. You'll see. This is someone else's movie. It's one of the most relevant political movies unfortunately, for our time. Do you know what I mean? It's about unchecked power. It's about freedom of the press. It's about journalistic integrity. It's about, uh, you know, scrupulous editorial oversight. It's about authoritative reportage and investigation. Um, and it's about, you know, the necess- the, how necessary the fifth estate is. And, and uh, to that, it's a fantastic it's the kind of movie that studios outside you know spotlight came out very recently and mm-hmm. you know you'd say oh spotlight's the natural sort of like you know progeny of all the president's men so there's a clear like relation like oh it's a journalism movie you know uncovering the big story um but i think that it's the kind of movie that doesn't really get made anymore and it's exactly the kind of movie that needs to get made more frequently yeah Thinking plus about it's it. just fucking so good <laughs> the acting is fucking amazing the cinematography the writing every every aspect of it is pinpoint and awesome yeah it is one of the films that i mean it's 40 years old now which Mm -hmm. is just stunning to me um that it would that it's it literally is a movie about history but it's also a movie about an age that doesn't exist anymore even though Mm -hmm. all the locations are still there everything is like washington is still washington i don't think there's really been that much change in the political world but the world of woodward and bernstein has completely yeah it's been it's been lost in the noise of of a million different outlets and subsumed yeah the the this wave of i mean the internet killed newspapers but the internet also killed the idea of objectivity or the illusion of investigation because now everyone has 10 facts that they can cite from sources that aren't real but that are real to them and you know th- well, this was a time when when the 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 reporting was authoritative because there was no other source right it had to be yeah right there was a mandate that you had to be able to trust the newspapers their word was everything right mm-hmm. like that was why you know when uh, in those scenes where the White House comes out and basically calls them liars, like it's a huge deal for the editors, the, the you know the the to to sort of stand by their writers. Yeah, and, and like no, we're gonna we're gonna stand by the story and stand by what we say. And even though you know, and that's why they're 
there's all this tension about whether or not they have the facts and and if they have enough facts to really run the story. Yeah, which and, again, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, I was just like trolling CNN the other day because you just run through it and it's literally just, they're just a conduit for spokespeople. You know, Hillary will kill the country. You know, Trump is a gigantic pterodactyl. Yes. You know, it's just like, but that's not a, that's not a news story. That's yeah. not news. There's nothing... Uh, of insight to the American public there. It's just spin, you know, and uh, it, it's amazing to see wh- how we our re- how our relationship to the news has changed. Yeah, it is. Um, it's kind of stunning to see. I think Saturday Night Live was doing the joke, it must have been 15 years ago now, where the CNN Chiron would immediately display the thing that the person just said. And instead, it's only this week someone actually used the Chiron to refute Trump. Um, the spokesman said, Trump says this, and then the Chiron it says, spokesman, Trump said this, bracket, he didn't, bracket. Or he did. Or just they, to call them out on lies. and But not to their face. No, exactly, because like, they won't go on. They won't, Or they won't be part of this. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's this... Even Nixon was giving press briefings. Yeah. That's what's so amazing about all the president's men. You have surrogates being deployed to destroy people looking to find the cover-up, but Nixon himself still managed to be, at least in his own zone, in his own bubble of support, he was still a respected politician. He was... I think the expectation of, uh, of the level of discourse and the level of facility with discourse that any public figure would, would bring into the fold was much higher. Yeah. You know what I mean? You were expected to be able to contain within yourself the highest form of polemic at any given moment like you were you were supposed to be able to speak extemporaneously to anything you know you're the president there's a certain level of of intellectual sort of like probity that we just kind of like took for you know guarantee yeah and that's just not the case anymore and it and it's not even the fact that it's you know it's overtly not the case but that fact i feel like isn't I feel like it should be more properly adjudicated by the journal. You know, the, the the press is like, is you know, like, where do you actually stand? What are the issues? Like, let's talk. Like, what are the actual points of foreign policy as opposed to like, you know, Trump thinks Mexico should build a wall. Well, can we actually get into like our relationship to Mexico, our relationship to Latin America, how infrastructure works on borders, why this is the most preposterous, yeah. ra- lazy, racist sort of like, you know kind of like populism you know that you can that you can mount and you know it's just it's just journalism sucks now <laughs> it sucks you know they don't have money that's a huge part of it yeah. we don't have they don't pay reporters yeah they don't take their time we don't have the bureaus that we used to have i mean i, I wrote for the toronto star as a freelancer in the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s and you could just feel the power of this thing investigative teams would actually be able to reach the people they needed to reach get results there was this this phrase that they threw around a lot, star gets action, but they actually could. People were, if not afraid of the paper, finding out what they were doing, they certainly were intimidated by the possibility. You know, people would think twice because they'd probably get caught. Now, yeah, you can lie and you can slander and you can do whatever you want because no one is going to call you on it. And if they do, your followers won't listen. They yeah. you can guarantee that your coverage is going to be well. Yeah, you know, like, and this is you know, this is all related to the Fox News case in the mm. early thousands. Yeah, where well, they won the right, uh, you know, 
through a, a, an enormous perversion of the First Amendment and the use of uh, Clinton's... Clinton wrote a bill, and I forget the name of it, but it, 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 it protected uh, news stations from having to provide uh, fact that you, you, before before uh, there was a specific, well, there was the a specific piece of legislature in, yeah. in the 80s that Reagan killed. Yeah. That um, sort of paved the way for Fox. I'm sh I, and you have me at a lot uh, there that you know like I'm not uh, as up to up to snuff on that as as I should be but I know that Clinton wrote a bill uh in his tenure that basically allowed Fox to cuz there used to be certain uh, certain quota of like there has to be a reflection of both sides to any issue like right. both sides have to be presented and a certain amount of like facts right have well, that, to that, be present that was the fairness doctrine yeah okay there you go that was literally it which Reagan got rid of in I want to say 86. Okay. And that sort of paved the way for Fox to rise 10 years later. And because they were like unencumbered by the law. Yeah. They could just say whatever they want and yeah. say it's news. And everything becomes classified as opinion. I think that was the thing that Clinton yeah. had done where they, there was more of a separation there. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have it, uh, have it right. But you know, and since then, like we've been trained that you do not ever have to capitulate to reality. Yeah, you know what I mean. It doesn't matter how checked your facts are. We can you can prove someone through and through is a liar, and they can just say I'm not a liar, and then that's the story that'll run. Yeah, and it's treated the same way as like an objective truth, which is kind of insane. Uh, yeah, the craziest thing to me about uh, to get back to the movie really briefly. No, please. One of the craziest things is the timeline of event of from the events that actually occurred. To the movie itself. Mm -hmm. it's oh God! Yeah, no, it was me. No time at all. It's 1976. Yeah, is when it and, came out. And the Watergate crisis was 72. Really. Yeah. So it's... four years. Can you imagine a major studio movie that intensely critical and journalistic coming out about a president four years later right. after an event? Well, and the book took a while to be written. Too. Yeah, and there's a book published there's until this... I want to say late 73. The book came out. Mm -hmm. But Robert Redford was sort of uniquely positioned, I guess. He'd already defined himself as an activist. He'd already been outspoken politically. He'd made the candidate, which sort of got people yeah. to understand that he was serious about this stuff. And so all of these pieces were in place, I think, for, for them to trust him, for Wildwood Enterprises to come and option the book. And then the stories... Have you read William Goldman's book, Adventures in Screen Trade? No, I was reading... I've read a little bit about... The, the weird, dysfunctional process yeah, it's behind amazing. creating the movie. He almost almost won't talk about it. He hates Bernstein. He talks around it, yeah. There's a story, there's a story about uh, Bernstein and Nora Ephron, who yeah. were together at the time, writing their own draft. They wrote a draft, and, and Redford brought and it, and to giving it to Redford, yeah. Yeah, Goldman said it was a gutless betrayal to, to use uh, Bernstein's draft, and apparently Bernstein's draft was like the most self-serving. Yeah. The only thing he, he says, the only scene he remembers is vividly is a scene where Bernstein sort of flirts with a girl to get her to give over a, a phone number or some piece of information. In the movie, the scene is just Hoffman basically begging. Yeah. I rem but there's another scene uh, that made it in that I, I know never occurred in reality, which is where he, fa you know, in Florida, when he's down in Florida and he like, fakes out the secretary, gets her to leave yeah, the yeah, office yeah. and goes and never happened. <laughs> uh, the other thing, the thing that there's two moments that I think are really interesting for a movie that's all about like ethical journalism, yeah. right? And the power and the efficacy of ethical jur journalism and the, the, like guessing which, which thing is the most journalistic and which is the most completely phony yeah. is, is like, it's really illuminating and I think beautiful. 
um, you're, you're familiar with the phrase follow the money in the of movie course, like yeah. there's this huge pivotal I'm like turning to the camera yeah. that isn't there <laughs> there's this huge pivotal moment like in the movie where you know Deep Throat is like follow the money and you know, it's, uh, and, you know and, and it changes everything you know it redirects their whole case their whole uh, inquiry and, and, and slowly things start to unravel you know the layers are peeled back never fucking happened it's never mentioned once in Watergate none of the documentation never in the story follow the money as far as this event is concerned historically is complete bullshit it never happened you know which I think is hysterical because it's so important to the story of this the power of ethical journalism, right? But it's that distillation, that's the thing a screenwriter does, which mm-hmm. is figure out what the thing that you aren't yeah, saying we, is, right? Yeah, and how do we get into... this eight days of conversation into three words? Yeah. But it never happened, yeah. which I think is like really, really just awesome. Uh, and then I think there's one thing that is absolutely the most accurate moment in the film, and it, I guarantee no one really notices or cares. Which is that, in the opening scene, uh, when Watergate is being broken into, the security guard who discovers the tape in the movie yeah. is played by the actual security guard who discovered uh, the break-in happening when it was occurring, Frank Wills, right. playing himself. So that moment is actually completely... You know, it's, it's, a, it's the closest they get to reenacting actual history. Yeah. It's just the security guard was the same. It's kind of amazing. It's, yeah. And it's something that, again, yeah, no one will notice. And it makes perfect sense. Of course, you'd want the technical advisor to be, like, <laughs> reenact the thing that he actually did. Sure. It's also just like, a, I think it's like a little wink, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, here's this, now we're putting in a little bit of actual history. And, like, you're just seeing this, because it's a, such a brief moment. Yeah, and it's, and it's really just right? Like, he, it's just a guy just, jiggling a doorknob. Yeah, he just looks at a door and he sees some tape on it. He sees some tape over the lock and he's like, huh? And then he calls it in. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's that was that's history right there. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly how it went down, but you know what I mean? They might have yeah. changed things a little bit filmically there, but it's him basically living his life on camera again. Yeah. You know, which I think is really cool. And the moment that the probably the only moment his life intersected with history, with actual yeah. import. I know. And yeah, then there it is captured forever yeah. in this really dope movie. So here's the question that I I'm really curious to ask. When if you've only seen it recently, how did you perceive it? Did you come to it as this sort of this respected masterpiece? This was this movie that you had to see, or something that you'd always wondered about? That's uh, my father's favorite film, oh, one yeah. of them. So I, you know, I had resisted right. any imprecation to witness this film up to that moment. Yeah, yeah. I was like, nah, fuck that. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Um, but he's generally got pretty great taste. Except for having watched all of Shannara, season one, on MTV. Oh, that thing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, people Um, like what they like. Sure, sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay. Uh, But, uh, you know, I was on a plane, and I was just like, ah, it's there. You know, I've heard amazing things about it. I'll just check it out. And one, let's be real. Young Robert Redford is the handsomest, (laughs) most charismatic, beautiful creature who has ever walked the planet Earth. Like... Can you imagine if he just laughed at your joke, how you would feel? Yeah. Like the warmth that would fill your body. You'd be levitating at least like an inch and a half off the ground, for sure. Oh, yeah. Young Robert Redford, oh my God. <laughs> just stud. Um, and then, uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman's at his best in it as well. Jason Robards, obviously, is Ben Bradley, the ed- editor, you know, giving an award-winning performance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's this... It, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, there is a... 
you're observing the best of a of a toxic environment and what, what I mean when I say that is like this is the 1970s newsroom the editors all look like clones of each other yeah they're all these just old white guys yelling at each other you know and the room is ba- it's basically a story about white men you know who are all, all the power players you know, all the secretaries and the assistants are women. There's like a black guy in the background of a couple shots. But, you know, this is still like a, the white man's America. Yeah. Right. This film. And I think like you're like, oh, OK, this is like the this is there's a commentary happening here that the film wasn't even aware of because it was immersed in that in the culture of that time. Yeah. Right. Very but at the same time, you're looking at people who are very, very good at their jobs, you know, just because there's this toxic sort of permeance to the ecosystem of, of that, of that era. Uh, you know, yeah. it doesn't, it and doesn't this is negate. Nixon's Washington too. Yeah. So everyone is cynical. Er, like everything is oh, worse. Yeah. It's just, just acidic. Yeah. It's Vietnam's just, going on. There's just the country's tired. The country's angry and the country's super sarcastic. Yeah. You know, but it's beautiful. It's got that noir. It's like the, the editors are all these hard bitten, like, you know, just like, tough guys, you know, just spitting, just spitting acid and, you know, fire and brimstone at each other. And it's just great. These hard boiled classic newsroom people, you know what I mean? It's just beautiful. You know, it's like, it feels like everything, you know, you grew up reading about like the newspaper. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Um, you want to be, it makes you want to be a journalist. Part of it. Yeah. It makes you want to get out there and like find the truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Certainly when, you know, when I was when I went into the Star Building, that was the atmosphere that they're trying to recreate. I think actually some scenes were shot. There were some some reshoots that were done in Toronto, and maybe I don't know about that. I know they rebuilt to a astonishing degree the Washington Post newsroom uh, on a set in Burbank. They spent like two over two hundred thousand dollars. Like they bought all the same desks. They transported trash. They measured out it inch by inch by inch. They replicated out of like uh, out of use phone books to put in the room, like stuff you know nobody's ever gonna fucking see. But it was exactly that thing. And I know uh, Bradley, the editor, got involved because he was like, "The film's gonna get made no matter what. I'm I'm gonna make. I'm gonna try and like keep it close to the yeah. the rails." Um, but it, it's interesting, you know, just to see. Like one, you still got that the the you know the deadline, which meant something, right? Because mm-hmm. now the deadline is just now. Everything's on this collapsed time frame of like it has to be out there immediately. We can't, we don't have time to like. We just have to get the Vine, you know, Twitter, yeah. take the Instagram of whatever's happening and post it immediately, and we'll we'll figure it out if it's real or not live on air. Yeah, all major media is going to be Snapchat based in a year anyway. So why even worry about five hundred words or six thousand words or major major exposés that trace the path of something? I mean, you could. I mean, you could get away now. I'm, I was trying to figure out how you would frame a modern all the presidents been something said in this present time, as opposed to even Spotlight, which takes place in two thousand one. Yeah. And it would you couldn't Ferguson. Really, you couldn't have the patience for it. Yeah, Ferguson. You, you'd, have live. Do, you'd have to. You'd have to see like this is the new generation of journalists, and it's scary and it's awesome. Uh, it's scary because they are not trained. Yeah, they are not versed in any sort of the code of ethics of journalism. They're not like. They don't know the process of sourcing. They don't know the process of fact checking. You know, it's all anecdotal, documentarian. I was there. Here it is. 
you know, type stuff, which is a very, it's visceral, it's immediate. There's a level of authenticity to it at times that, you know, is, is, you know, it can't be repudiated, but at the same time, there's not the, it misses the, the guideposts and the structure of sort of like classical journalism, which, you know, to a certain extent, it barely exists. Right, it's sure. a it's a husk of its former self, just in terms of how much of it is alive and well in the United States, at least. Yeah, you know, it's just like there's the papers are shrinking. You know, there's not enough. T- you know, stories are getting shorter and shorter, <laughs> faster and faster. There's just there's not long term in depth investigative reporting in the same way that there used to be. Yeah, and there is like clearly based on how social media responds when something does happen. There is a demand for it, but no one knows how to monetize it, so it's not being done. Well, you just need to stop giving away the news for free. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's no... I think there's this thing in the internet was sort of kind of jo- you know laughed at and wasn't really seen as like, you know, the, di- the, the, the prior generation, I think, didn't really treat the internet seriously. And we're like, it doesn't really have a relationship to the actual paper yeah. or the actual product. Like, the commodification of news is unrelated to the internet. And so they just open the floodgates, like, sure, you can read the paper online. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, like, immediately people were like, oh, the news is free. Yeah. And, like, it, it never should have been that way. Well, just like everything else on the internet. Right? Yeah, you can find a way to, yeah. Everything is available your to way. people if they want it badly enough. Fortune, they go deep web. It's just insane. I mean... We're, we're sitting here surrounded by DVDs and Blu-rays, which are a physical media format that's probably going to go away within, what, 10 years? Yeah, if it, but, longer than, shorter than that, I imagine. But then I'll still have them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll be okay. It's just, like, all this history is going to disappear if you can't find it. Well, there'll um, be museums. I should know. hope so, yeah. There'll be little, like, there'll be viewing palaces. <laughs> well, the Museum um, of the Modern Image, the moving image will just separate into small screening rooms. Yeah, well, you know, um, I'm really, I, I, there's a really weird... Relationship, even as an actor who's in, you know, acts in like fictional work, like, you know, we're paid way less for internet stuff. Oh, of course, right. You know, yeah. our rates are much higher if it's broadcast on television, if it's put in a film. But if it's, you know, it's like for, like, say there's a residuals contract, right? Which is right. like it's something I do airs again, right? And if it airs again on TV in primetime, I get a much larger paycheck for that than if it's to air again on Hulu. Right. Why? Yeah. You know, and that's all because of advertising dollars, right? right? The ad buyouts for internet are cheaper, theoretically, than they are for primetime TV. Yeah. I mean, now, you know what I mean? 10 years from now. 10 years from now, but already, like, you know, the massive confluence of viewership is occurring on digital platforms, mm-hmm. you know? And everybody knows that's why HBO has an app now. You know, everybody's getting their app because it's like, yeah, everybody wants a la carte viewing. They don't want to have to tune into a broadcast schedule. But, uh, you know, it, it, there's a relationship to the to all information, Right is is going through the internet and it's just this wild west of deregulated, you know, information streams. Yeah. And I think there needs to be. I'm a labor guy. I'm a union guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh yeah. I I believe in re- you know regulatory practices. I believe in the the power of them. Um, people should have to pay for work. Yeah, I write for a newspaper. Trust me, I'm on your side. It on makes this me. One. That's why I fucking hate the Huffington Post. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the Huffington Post as a website and as a platform is worth gajillions. It's worth untold millions of dollars. But they pay people nothing. They pay their staff, I'm sure, their editorial well, yeah, staff. Yeah, sure the web people get paid. But that's, I mean, they should be ashamed. You know what I mean? I get it. And the hardest thing is on the individual who takes a job there, who offers a, an article there, because you're like, well, 
I'm in a position where I can't really say no. And that's, you know, that's the whole reason collective bargaining exists. That's mm -hmm. the whole reason that so many labor practices exist and, and so many labor bodies exist is because as an individual, you have no leverage in the marketplace yeah. unless you are, you have sole ownership or authorship over some product or patent that everybody's after, you know, some bit of information that everybody needs. Right. And so I, I just, I, I just think this, this freelance independent contractor, Everybody, mano a mano, everybody on their own, share economy thing is like fucking ruinous, and we need to get out of it as soon as possible. Yeah, well, I think the the end point has to be a return to respecting the idea of work, which is never going to happen uh, in the current mode. I don't know how you shift out of it. I don't know how you get people who like. There's an entire generation that's grown up having everything for free in front of them on the internet or available for 99 cents on iTunes. I don't know how you shock them into understanding. I mean, maybe it's turning 25 and realizing they have to get jobs. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's exactly it. I think it's really when you're in, in high school or in college yeah. or whatever, when you're younger and, you know, the notion of free is your life. It's the, it's the sort of foundation of your life in a lot of ways, unless you're growing up in a really working class sort of situation where, you know, the family needs you to work for an early age right. and you sort of understand how consuming working for a living and, and making very little. Right, and then you're less be. likely to have the privilege of going to college and being yeah. away from it. Exactly, it's harder to live in that sort of like bubble of like, no, I just want to watch a movie. Yeah. Give me the movie. Yeah. You know? But I think that like, I, I do think that it's about uh, loud voices uh, when they have an opportunity calling it out. Because I do think there is, uh, there is this beautiful mob effect <laughs> that is like really useful right now on the internet it's terrifying and I find I myself I'm like oh I gotta get better about like just like overreacting instantly to everything <laughs> you know like the whole outrage syndrome is like really also it's uh, just destructive to discourse it's destructive to nuance it's destructive to you know oppositional dichotomous truths which are very fucking real and need to be observed and, and respected uh, for our society to flourish as a as an aggregate of hetero, heterogeneous sort of peoples, yeah. you know what I mean? We're not all a homogenized white bread structure. We don't share the same belief systems. We need to embrace nuance and differentiation, um, and not just like lynch each other and like tor you know come with the pitchforks and torches whenever somebody says something incorrect. Right. Um, Although even that, like I just had like a, a streak of fear because I said the word lynch and I'm like, oh my god, people are gonna I'm gonna be torched for just using that right. word well everything um, i mean everything is loaded now if you want it to be if mm -hmm. you find a way to be angry and i think that's the weird thing about certainly the weird thing about twitter lately is that there are people trolling my mentions for or trolling my tweets from somebody responded to something i said three weeks ago and yeah. got it and took offense in entirely the wrong context just to be angry like just to keep oh, it yeah. just to prolong that and i'm sure that happens to you way more all the time well i see stuff from like years ago like those twitchy folks you know what i mean adam baldwin that <laughs> he's a time bomb troglodyte but what a moron he's just stupid he's a stupid like you read what he says you're like ah oh, you're just kind of like not a super bright guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's, he's angry. He's lost. Yeah. Who's said it. You see him once a year and you're like, really? You're still doing that? Well, it's like, it's like you meet people and you're like, oh, some, some personal things went down for you and your way of rationalizing this sort of very personal tragedy that's unfolded for you right. or these struggles or these obstacles, you have, you have 
rationalize them into a societal systemic conspiracy. Right, yeah. And like that's a really dangerous way to think. You know, my problems are not everyone else's fault sometimes, you yeah. know, or just the other's fault, whoever the other might be in that situation. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, to get back to, to an earlier sort of like thesis, there are interviews, you know, like celebrities get the opportunity to work for Huffington Post all the time, to write pieces, to write, to do interviews, sure. you know, they do these live web things or stuff like that. But like a platform like that, it's important, I think, to boycott or to say something or to make, to be like, no, absolutely not. I will not use your platform while you don't pay writers. Right. Or if you want to have an interview with me, we're going to talk about why you don't pay writers. And that's that's it, period. But at the same time, the biggest problem is like often you're working on behalf, like say my show airs in January, right? And so there will be a certain amount of press that, you know, whoever whoever amongst the cast, they're like, you will be the face of this yeah, right now. Um, you know, they'll send us out. And because you're working for ABC, uh, the studio, the network, and its parent company, Disney. Right. You know, lovely, lovely, friendly Disney. Um, you know, I got no beef. I love to yeah. love you guys, uh, but uh, <laughs> you're doing good work. But uh, you know, you have to be respectful of the people signing your checks and understand that you know they are spending a lot of money and time to try and promote their product, and and they're asking your you know they're not really asking, but they're using yeah. you um, to to be the face of it. And you know, I'm really torn sometimes because I think there's a righteous sort of like there's an obligation of 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 trying to to speak to an issue that needs to be spoken about, but at the same time, not selfishly detract from the work of your collaborators. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you pull focus as soon as you bring something up that isn't directly related to the project, but at the same time, you're also trusting that the reporter will keep it, will use it. I mean, even yeah. in this case, there's so much of this stuff that dovetails back and reaches back to all the president's men and sort of it's outside yeah we'll get the there we'll get there yeah. <laughs> it's outside the purview of the show but it's all valid so i'm definitely keeping it because it's the kind of thing that illuminates a perspective on the film as well as where you're coming from but when yeah. you're talking about an abc show which is as far as i can tell from what i've seen a sitcom and something yeah. that can be easily understood by a reporter you're kind of hoping that they'll keep some germ, some germ of what it is you want to talk about, as well as the thing you're selling. Yeah, I mean, I think to to try and like be res responsible here as an interviewee, uh, the the connection that I would make this these long tangential paragraphs no, to all the president's men is the need to to understand what is an enormous um, like a corruption within our society or a a malevolent influence or a a cheating of the system that is uh, adversely affecting a gross number of people and to speak to power you know what I mean it's the it's the ability to stand up and speak to power in an intelligent uh, fashion and one that demands answers yeah and I it's there's this lack of follow-up in our journalistic discourse now that is in the movie that's so beautiful like everything they go in and like the way they just call it like hey it's Bob Woodward I'm from the Washington Post. Like, there's no, like, I'm going to, like, this James O'Keefe motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Who, like, this perversion of what journalism is. The guy who went after Planned Parenthood, yep, where it's yep. like, I'm going to impersonate, I'm going to create a fraudulent identity, and then lie the whole way through it, then re-edit videos, and then claim that I have the right to do so as a journalist with protection under the First Amendment, freedom of the press. Right. And it's this understanding, like, watch all the president's men and understand what the press is and how it's like 
hey, I'm a reporter working for this. Can you answer this question? Yeah. I'm going to ask it again. I'm going to ask him, well, do you have a comment on this? And we're going to, we're going to fact check you and we're going to show every facet of the thing. So you better, you better make sure you come out right. I'm giving you an opportunity here, but just know I'm coming after this story. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, but it gives people an opportunity to understand that the fifth press operates in the light. Yeah. It's not well, a I mean, thing. It's designed to illuminate. Yeah. It's the very point of the media. Exactly. And or so, was. Yeah, it was. Right now the media is like, well, what is the distortion? Right? Whenever I watch a news story, I'm like, where is the inherent bias? Right. Right? Because depending on what network you're watching, what uh, anchorman you're watching, you're getting this this really sort of like this this uh, altered state of, of news. Right? You know, like if you watch Wolf Blitzer, you're getting a, you're getting a conservative guy you know, centrist conservative more than... He's not as reactionary as evangelical. Like, he's not evangelizing out there the way some of them do. But his Um, response to something is always going to be, well, why should I... I'm trying to think of Blitzer's... His his thing to me seems to just be bewilderment. Like he'll play that weird Andy Rooney yeah, part. Yeah, like, like, why is why? this happening? Yeah. What's going on? But yeah, well, like the way he like uh, protester coverage, where he's like, "Don't you think? Aren't you uh, worried about the violence in the right. streets? Like, doesn't concern you to see this sort of violent, unchecked, sort of like unscrupulous behavior of protesters?" And it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's a very yeah. like that question's answered itself. You know, yeah, that's it's... answering a question you didn't even ask. Yeah, it's confirmation bias. Yeah, it's assuming that this is happening. Therefore, how do you you know he's going to accuse other people of manipulating it or creating it? Yeah, exactly. And so it's this it's this thing where you're like, depending on the personality of the person you're experiencing, uh, you're getting a very different story. Mm-hmm. And I think like yeah, the press is all about how close can we get to objectively what is occurring, and it doesn't fucking matter who bites the bullet. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat, it doesn't matter if it's a Republican, if it makes... It doesn't matter what side looks bad, because it matters what happened. Right. And why. Yeah. And that's it. And that's the thing that I was thinking about in relation to all the president's men. With Watergate, mm-hmm. it would it would never have been a scandal. It would have been, you know, it's the kind of thing where now, in the present day, yeah. in the age of Donald Trump saying, oh, I didn't say that, or... Clinton saying, you know, we needed these, we needed a private server because I wanted to keep my personal life private and mm-hmm. just ignoring the truth of anyone in a high enough position of, of government function will bleed in. Like, you're never going to be able to fully separate those two selves. Here, it would simply be, it wasn't Nixon. It was three guys down the line. It was, you oh, know, yeah, well, you, Kennedy, you the, Kennedy invented that policy of like, keep the head separate from the body like well, you know what I yeah. mean yeah there's plausible always deniability. yeah plausible deniability what's the other oh the bad actors the bad apple argument, yeah which was perfected by, by Bush and Rumsfeld and Ashcroft god I sound like a, a, a bomb throwing liberal no no caricature. no but I mean look that's what I am you know what I mean I'm, no, no, a, me I'm a huge I'm a huge lefty like you know that's gonna be clear talk to me for a second and I'm like you, you can hear me organizing the workers you know what I mean <laughs> um, but yeah. uh but, you yeah. know there's a character specifically in all the president's men that I think is is fascinating and is absent from the the political landscape today. That's Sloan. Mm. You know, here's a Republican, an honest Republican, right. who doesn't believe win it in win at all costs, who is a is a measured, principled, ideological Republican, which is like I believe he believes in you know whatever. The republicanism of that era was, which is very different than the republicanism of now. But you know, had a you know smaller, you know, checked government, right, yeah. uh, less you know, lower taxes. But basically, it's social a, it's responsibility. Social responsibility. And... It's a more moderate. Uh, but you know, it's 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 
the you know the expansion of the private sector the the thing like that but you know Nixon did the Clean Water and Air Act you know what yeah. I mean so it wasn't like there wasn't this this absolutism yeah no Reagan's still eight years away there are still politicians who I mean no one can argue that Nixon got into politics for the charm and the charisma he wanted yeah. to be in power but he also did want to be a head of government he wanted to affect change and he wanted to be a yeah, he wanted he wanted to be a good president he yeah. just wanted to be president yeah and he was willing to do anything to become president i mean he was a, and he was a horrible human being yeah there's that too yeah I mean, like just an awful awful human being i don't want to like i idolize like nixon yeah i mean he's probably the first if not maybe johnson but he, he got to be he got to be president by sort of oh, cruel fate yeah. But I think Nixon is the first example of the old the joke about how you know the only people who want to be presidents are sociopaths or uh, or narcissists. Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of had both going on. But there's some earlier presidents that you could probably make a case for yeah. there too, like mid mid nineteenth century. Sure, people would beat their way. In. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of party politics and the way things organized in the twentieth century, Nixon was the guy who, you know. Running against Kennedy was the thing that defined him as the evil troll, mm -hmm. but he still, yeah, Clean Air and Water Act. He still managed. And he ended the Vietnam. I mean, to be fair, like yeah, the Kissinger's, day he stepped down. Yeah, yeah, you know the, the it's a complicated uh, sequence of events that leads to Nixon being responsible for the end of Vietnam. Um, you know, Kissinger thwarting the ability of the government to create peace within Johnson's era. Yeah. Uh, Kissinger, what a yeah, no, what I mean, a scumbag, huh? It's yeah. weird because his is kid it? is in comedy TV business. Really? He's like a he's like a writer on the he's a creator on the Office. I think he creates he's creating a show for TBS now. So it's just weird because I'm like, you see him, I see him around every now and then. I don't know, maybe he's a nice guy, but like, you know, like his dad is like. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's there's that handful of of uh, political figures who will never fully be prosecuted or brought to bear for the things that they've done. Kissinger. Um, no, pretty much all of them. Like Ashcroft, you know what I mean? There's, uh, they, you know, Rumsfeld, Bush. But I mean, you know, Cheney. They're they're Cheney, all. Yeah, Cheney's like Voldemort. You can't even speak his name. Oh yeah, but you know, there's there's every list like Clinton. Literally, you know, Clinton Clinton's uh, actions in Latin America. Um, the sanctions on Iraq that led to like a million children starving yeah. to death. Oh, it's not specifically a Republican thing. This is this happens. Every, in every major political leader yeah. does things that are horrible, and will not as long as they are the president of America. It is very likely that they will ever be called to account for those actions. Yeah. Except in books and movies down right. the road. Yeah, I mean that's why Nixon makes such a fantastic villain in All the President's Men. We never see him. Yeah, he, he's experienced entirely through teletypes and TV broadcasts, and you are, and we already know that we hate him. Yeah, he's, you know, like he's you walk in, in, you're like you hate. We've hated him for 15, 20 years before the movie was made. Like you're like I've hated this guy since nineteen sixty. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So what would it be like? What would it have been like in nineteen seventy six to walk into a theater and I, know that that's the story? Like every, and that's the thing that Goldman talked about. Every aspect of the story is something that people already know. You know the ending, and you know the basic bones of it because I, that was a huge, huge story in 1974. You couldn't miss it. Well, I think I think it's it's you know it's the story about Muskie, right? And this is the it's the weird because you know the phrase to myself perverting the course of history. You know, kept entering my mind and like, well, no, you can't pervert the course of history. History just is. Mm. You know, history is whatever it happens. But he perverted the will of democracy. You know, yeah. by sabotaging president, Democratic presidential candidates, you know, through co this, these surreptitious and covert sort of like operations. Yeah. Really, you know, with creep and yeah. everything like that. How can you have a committee called creep? I mean, they were literally that, the like, they were just like that 
ballsy. They just didn't, yeah. they didn't care. They're like, yeah. no one's going to get us. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were just that confident. Well, that's how I feel about James O'Keefe, right? He thinks he's being clever, but the editing is so transparent and the, the perspective and the bias is so obvious. But yeah, I think that's an arrogance that comes from, for lack of a better term, it's ingrained power where you've grown up in this universe. Like Nixon was a guy who thought he was a fighter and he was. Like yeah. He struggled from his, his um, weird religious upbringing to, to come into American politics and be his own man. But at the same time, he was a guy with the levers of power available to him all the time. And yeah. by the time Watergate happened, it's just like, well, of course you would you would stop the bad, the bad guys who you perceive as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Of course you would do whatever it takes to keep your position of power. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? And O'Keefe is the same way. It's like, I'm releasing this and it's journalism because I say it is. And the rest of you are too dumb to know what I'm doing. Well, and also the 60s was the rise of like... Well, you know, and I think it's... And, you know, a lot of them worked in the McCarthy era as like lawyers or like right. young aides or whatever. Like, you know, they all were sort of like inculcated in this era of like you can ruin, you know, like, you have the ability to end people. It wasn't just intimidation, it was destruction. Yeah, so there's this policy of, like, destruction as consequence. Like, if you are the enemy, if you're perceived as the enemy, you are just destroyed. Mm -hmm. You know, and and for a while, you know, the label communist was a very effective sort of flag to wave over anyone's head who you were like, well, you need to get rid of them, or something like that, or, like, you know, uh, a justification. But over time, you know, that just sort of becomes... Any, any opposition right. is basically sort of seen, you know, you can, the, the right thing to do is just destruction. And I think, you know, Lee Atwater, Rove, the young Republicans, the college Republicans or whatever, they come up with the Southern strategy right. and just like this slow, like, what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just win, 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 win. But there's this character Sloan in the movie who, you know, is a big source for Woodward and Bernstein going forward. Uh, and like, you know, he's really... A moral figure, you know what I mean. He wants to be a Republican who does the right thing, and is willing to speak out against. To some degree, was willing though he recanted later. They got yeah. to him, but uh, you know, was willing to speak out against the people in charge. You know, desperately wanted people to be held account for what he saw as like, you know, sort of actions treacherous and treasonous to to you know the guiding principles of, of American democracy, of this yeah. democratic republic. And where is that voice now in, a, in, in on, the, on the right who's willing to be like, our party, you know, is better than this? Yeah. You would like, think right now, especially, with Trump ascendant, well, and there would a, be more... There's such an opportunity. Anything, yeah. There's such an opportunity for a person of character, if there were one in the Republican Party, which I'd be... To be frank with you, I just don't think there is really right now, currently. I, yeah, I don't know that there is even... I was going to say the appeal or attraction, but I don't even think there's a reason for people of conscience to be Republicans now. Or to, no, that not part of that platform. Yeah, after the last 16... Well, even like since the mid-90s, since Gingrich sort of hijacked the whole principle anyway, mm-hmm. I think they've spent all this time alienating anyone with a sense of social or cultural relevance yeah why would you want to work with these people and then you see the people they bring up as the the young hot like paul ryan is the young hot shot and he looks like a muppet but he has nothing to say and and he, yeah and nobody and, nobody and, likes these guys like there's they yeah. keep like you know marco rubio where you're like oh he looks like a guy who could win an election except for the giant bat ears but yes yeah, so yeah 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 and just, but like he just you know he just has no 
no capacity for leadership. It yeah. just doesn't exist within these people. You know what I mean? You just like you don't look at them and be like, yeah, okay, I would definitely listen. Yeah, well, you know, it's all the, it's the cynical. I mean, it's beyond cynical. Nixon was cynical. Mm-hmm. Nixon knew that he could use the pulpit of the presidency and stall yeah. or distract or dissuade in a way that would get his message out long enough. And at the time, the news cycle was such that you could mm-hmm. just simply say something and it's the president said, and it would take weeks or months for it to be taken apart. Yeah. Because the, even though the, the reporter base was stronger, the gears were grinding so much more slowly. Now, all you need to do is have one sentence that you repeat over and over and over again. But we get that, we get that sentence through people like you know, Sarah Palin, which mm-hmm. the Republicans pushed forward because they thought Hillary Clinton was going to run for vice president if she didn't get mm-hmm. the presidency. So they, well, we have a woman too. And their cynical choices are, are just so weirdly obvious. Yeah. Like they don't know that everything is transparent now, that you can yeah. see through all this stuff. Well, it's the same problem with the Democrats, right? The Democratic, the DNC, and uh, establishment politics in general. I think it's this real, you know, it's a group of people who, who grew up, you know, in politics 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. And their understanding of, like, how visible certain power structures are is very different. Sure. Right? You know what I mean? Like, they just don't... They're not aware that, like, young people can, like, are, can look things up immediately and yeah. be like, this is bullshit. Like, this is just so... You're, this, so this is just pandering. Like, it's so pathetically obvious that this is pandering, right. you know? Uh, and, and it's difficult, you know... And, like, Hillary's a very capable politician. She's a terrible campaigner. You know, I think she's not a person who is most effective on camera. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's a person that is definitely, like, she knows her circles. She knows p- how to work powerful people and how to achieve goals that she wants to, you know, the whole Clinton triangulation thing, whatever. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But, uh, you know, she's... I don't doubt she'll get things done. Yeah, it's just she's but... terrible. She's not good at persuading. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? She doesn't ha- have uh, the easiest time in that sphere yeah which is not easy for anybody yeah you know, and it's very difficult i met uh the our current president barack obama very briefly oh, wow. uh, a few years ago because i did some stumping for him in 2012 and he is one of the most charismatic people you'll ever meet and uh his ability to speak extemporaneously and illuminatingly on anything is just sort of astonishing. Yeah. You're just like, here's a brain that is like, you can just see him care for like the diction, the preciseness of his lexicon, where you can see him like dancing around the minds, you know what I mean? The landmark, because everybody's just waiting for those gotcha moments now. Sure, yeah. And you can just see him just like sorting through his words and offering this really sort of like, in some ways forgotten, moderate, you know, he's like the forgotten generation of the moderates, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, well, you know, uh, it's best uh, that we try to meet everybody's needs and just, like, you know, do our best to, like, uh, slowly and incrementally, you know, uh, answer the questions that we all have. Yeah. You know, if there's and, a clip of him talking to someone um, after a after a public appearance. I think it must have happened Monday or Tuesday. I just saw is it Is it the gun thing? The gun thing, yeah. where he just, someone says, you're going to, you take know, our you're guns. helping Hillary take her guns away. And he just says, you know, I've been in office eight years. You still have your guns. You have more guns than ever. Yeah. And he answers it with, with stunningly without anger. 
Well, that's the thing just, about him that I think, like, that was the big lesson. I, like, I feel like I have to, like, because I get angry at his, I, his lack of anger sometimes. Yeah. And that's why I think Bernie Sanders has that such appeal. It's like, you're like, yes, catharsis. Yeah, We're yeah, so yeah. frustrated. But, uh, you know, I, I think I do believe, however harsh the lesson of obstructionism has been the past eight years mm-hmm. for half of America. Yeah. <laughs> at least. Uh the more we as people can respond softly but intellectually in a principled and honest fashion where you can honestly express your view, you know, your vantage, whatever it is, uh, but also understand that debate is a forum for Con- aspirational conflict. Right. You know what I mean? And that it's not to win. And I think, you know, it's a great lesson to take away if, uh, if uh, I'm married uh, and uh, for anyone who's in a long-term relationship, learning that you don't, should never try to win <laughs> in any argument is a really useful lesson. Like it's, what you want is is peace and happiness right. in the nation. You know what I mean? Like that's the win. That's the victory is disarmament. You know? Yeah. And yeah, like, it's not mutually assured destruction. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a great there's a great Dr. Seuss book, you know, where the, they're each building the, the 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 weapons race, you know, and it's like it just leads with them like poised on the precipice of dis- mutual destruction on this fence, um, and it's like that's you know that's the difficulty with this sort of like polarized uh, national conversation where we're so we sit so far apart and we're so unwilling to compromise our own views mm-hmm. and to be like, well, I know that's not great, but yeah. We have to, if you know, we have to find some sort of consensus. And if I stop thinking about this in terms of victory and start thinking about this in terms of commonality, and you know, maybe we can, maybe we can somehow find the ability to to govern our nation again. And but you know, think about how different America. When you talk about like the reaction of people watching this film, you're watching it and you're like, my God, Nixon might not have been president. Yeah, he might not have won the election. And, like, regardless of him getting impeached and resigned, the fact was Ford then became... It wasn't like it was... There's a mulligan and a do-over. You know, we didn't rerun the election and be like, okay, let's just try it again. You know, this time, no bullshit. And no, like, that was for six and a half plus years. For eight years, there were Republicans managing the state of affairs for the nation. And, you know, there's a, a real solid argument to be made that that might not have occurred. Without yeah. creep, without them rat fucking their yeah. way to the to the Oval Office, and when you watch the film, you're like, God, you know, that's the power of the Fifth Estate. That's the power of journalism, properly funded, motivated, ethical journalism uh, that you can see in a film like All the President's Men. Uh, <laughs> is that it can it can course correct, it can it can divert uh, the flow of history back down what feels like its proper channel. Yeah, and or it like, could at the time. It could. It had the ability, you know, that it, you know, with those factors of like money, uh, pre- there's a certain amount of prestige that the news had back then. Like, sure. You know, and I think like it, it exists to this day and age. I think I, I think we still respond to truth in the same fashion as a public. Yeah. The problem is getting to the point where we all agree on what the truth is. Yeah, we like, can't that's differentiate. What that's what doesn't happen anymore. 
and you, were, I, you were saying about people yelling at each other rather than coming to compromise. If all you're doing is waiting for the other person to stop talking so you can drop your line that you've been working on, then you're not listening. You're mm-hmm. not actually having a conversation. And uh, all the presence men and spotlight too. I mean, yeah. cause, cause it is the spiritual cousin to it. Yeah. Um, those are films that are about a team of people using every resource available to let everyone know the unequivocal truth. Like an irrefutable mm-hmm. fact is, is that this thing has happened. Yeah. And by the time it comes out, it's so exhaustively researched that it is undeniable to the point where in the, in all the presence yeah. men, it simply ends as it began with a teletype that says yeah. it's over. Yeah, this is what happened. Yeah, it's amazing because even they brought down the president. Yeah, this these two guys and this paper and this story, they brought down a president. You know, I mean, it's like, wow. Yeah, do you know the only what I mean? time that's ever happened. I yeah, and there's never been another circumstance, and probably has been in other in other nations in other times in other eras but in american history yeah this was the jaw dropping it's a jaw dropping reminder of like how unbelievably cool great reporters can be yeah and like god yeah if you know like if if, you're like whoo if i'd been a kid and seeing that movie in the 70s i've been like i'm going to journalism school i'm gonna be a reporter like this is what i'm gonna do you know what i mean like there's no greater weapon for the cause of of good than the truth. And yeah. that is what the fifth estate is. That is what journalism is. That's the truth. Yeah. I mean, you know? the, um, the, I th- I'm probably unconsciously quoting either Goldman or, or Pakula, but the, somebody... No, well, maybe, maybe it was something I wrote. I don't know. But it was... It was the, the thing that's always amazed me about this film is that it all boils down to not knowing... Not persisting in asking questions, but knowing which questions to ask. Yeah. And knowing which questions aren't being answered. Mm-hmm. So, which gives you that amazing moment with, with Hoffman on the phone saying, I'm just going to count. Yeah, count to ten. Yeah. I mean, in the tension of those moments, when you actually see, like, the, the crazy thing at the end of the movie, there's, you know, the cast list and everything, it's like 15 people. Yeah. There were maybe 15 people in that movie total, and it feels like there are thousands. Yeah. Well, that's the use of Washington, right? The you use know? of the, the locations and getting this sense of scope in the city God. and the constant Such grind. Such a good movie. It is. It's fantastic. But that it, constant it's... grind of TV in the background and radio and people talking about this as it's developing. And all the time, this is the genius of the narrative because we know it's going to work out. You can put them in. You can put them in front of as many barriers, as much frustration. You can make it as hard as possible. Because somewhere in the back of your mind, your brain goes, "Well, Nixon is, isn't president anymore, so mm-hmm. they must make they'll they'll be okay." Yeah. And the the attempts at intimidation and the lack of personal lives, just the mm-hmm. fact that their entire world is this story. Yeah, it's it. It's all I care about. They're yeah. obsessed with it. Um, and also just like outside of journalism, it's a reminder of a kind of like a. Uh, uh, you know, the 70s were, you know, in many ages, like, you know, the golden age, right? You know, just like, every, every film was like, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. 1976, of all the President's Men lost Best Picture to Rocky, but it lost it along with Bound for Glory, Taxi Driver, and Network. I mean... It was... An, what an incredible year for movies. Yeah, that's an all-star lineup. That's. I mean, any single one of those movies, 
I mean, Rocky's a great movie. Rocky's still pretty good. Rocky is a totally enjoyable movie, yeah. but Network, Network, Taxi Driver, yeah. and all the presidents. Went. I haven't seen Bound for Glory. Bound for Glory is fantastic. It just—it's a Hal Ashby film about okay. uh, Woody Guthrie with Keith Carradine. I love just Woody reissued Guthrie. Just reissued on Blu-ray. I'll check it out. Yeah, it's. I'm it's a big Woody Guthrie fan. Really, really good. I'm so culturally ignorant. I really am. I'm so deficient. I, I haven't seen all, so many movies. But think about all so the little. stuff there is to catch up to. Like, I don't envy that position. I've, I'm <laughs> lucky enough to have been. This has been my job for twenty yeah. for almost. 30 years now I've been watching movies and catching up that's so cool man what it's a great pretty, what a great job it's pretty great uh, sometimes but like uh, you know it was a 5 million dollar film grossed 70 I think 0. 0.6 yeah. right so it made a ton of ton of money yeah. after the fact and so it's this tiny film tiny budget I mean you know it, it, with inflation you move it up like you know 15 20 sure. million now whatever it's it is a certain amount of prestige for it to begin with it's not like sure it was a Redford gonna, Hoffman yeah and, it's not like people you know, wouldn't go when it came out there was never no. going to be a boycott but you know the way it's shot there's almost no close-ups in the entire movie outside yeah. of some of the scenes with Deep Throat in the parking garage Right. It's almost it's all, yeah, it's shadows, but it's almost all in, in two shots. It's in wide shots. And there's this thing where the camera lingers and lets people live and like people mutter and they talk and you don't have to catch the tear glinting in the eye. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's this thing and it's not overlit. Like it's fluorescent. It's pale. It's gross. People look sickly. People don't look great. Yeah. You know, it's, there's plain, the sound of planes and see where people have to yell over the sound of ambient noise. These are things that don't exist in films anymore because they're, they make it harder to edit they make it harder to convey exactly to a unrelenting degree the exactitude of a moment right the moment you know what i mean it's a movie that's like we trust the audience we trust how smart the audience is we're gonna we're gonna move fast we're gonna move conversationally we're gonna we're gonna show things in it we're gonna show the environment and not just the faces yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, by contrast, in terms of uh, storytelling, uh, Spotlight has a little more of the personal lives of the reporters, but not mm-hmm. very much. And McCarthy, when he came through uh, last year to TIFF, we talked about it a little, and he said he, had, he was in the screenwriting phase, he was trying to figure out how much you need to know about people. And he figured that Sasha's story, the, the Rachel McAdams character, her relationship with her grandmother, which is all true, mm-hmm. uh, who was a, a not only a, a practicing Catholic, but a committed Catholic who was slowly having her foundation shaken by realizing she couldn't trust the church, if not mm-hmm. her faith. That was the, the personal angle. And the other stuff with Ruffalo's uh, marriage being in a shambles, and that just had to be incidental. Mm-hmm. And with and his, his touchstone was all the president's men because the investigation has to drive everything. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to the see The story is everything. Yeah, and if you're going to see some personal aspect of the characters, it has to be in relationship to the story because if you're a reporter and you're chasing something like this, that's your world. Mm-hmm. So you're even when you're not on the story, you're going to be thinking about the story, so you have to see how it infects them. Yeah, the obsession of uh, you know, the the you know, the cost, right? The personal cost of being a great reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is that yeah, it destroys everything else in your life. Like, you know, you can't be a successful family person and you can't manage relationships and you're not reliable and you're not there. And so much of your life is, is obsession. And it has to be, you know, because no one is helping you and you have to deliver this thing. But yeah, it's, it's difficult to know, like, because it does feel ancillary. 
to, you know, to that kind of movie. Like, I don't really want to, I don't need to hang out in the living room of like, I don't need to see a date happen. Like, I just want, I want the story, you know, as the audience, like we are also eager to know the truth. Like, you know, we should feel that, that same propulsion through it. It's interesting too, because like, you know, there's a natural sort of paranoia, right? To the press. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's like you're uncut. You're always like on the verge of uncovering the conspiracy. Yeah, right. You spend all your time not trusting people, even yeah. people you like, um, because there is always a motivation. You know, who benefits? Mm-hmm. Why are you telling me the thing you're telling me now? Yeah. Why aren't you telling me the thing you'll tell me tomorrow? Yeah, there's there's, there's always a cover up. Yeah. You know, and it's a uh, it's interesting too because. Uh, I've been reading a lot of Pynchon recently. Like, I'm very recently sort of been introduced to Thomas Pynchon. Okay. Um, and I, I greatly enjoy his work. I think it's just just masterful and, and absurdist and really sad and super funny. Um, but paranoid. <laughs> like, <laughs> utterly, so. utterly paranoid. And there is the 70s in particular, I think, was an era of, like, paranoid like paranoia was infecting the country like you look at the 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 books being authored you look at the movies being made like the conversation sure. you know uh Pakula, yeah the Parallax 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 um you know there's all these different like serpico you know there's all like there's this whole like everything is like there's a there's a layer of truth man out there you know right. apocalypse now is you know like you're looking at all these the, this this sort of like generation where this 10 or 12 year 13 year span where like everything is like it's not what you've been told man yeah. you know um, which which recurs now because of you know post 9/11 paranoia is different but i'm thinking something like the matrix where suddenly there had to be a different reason. It couldn't yeah. be humans doing it to you. It had to be some larger thing. The 70s, the amorphous conspiracy that's just a bunch of people in suits that you can't fully yeah. understand is somehow more terrifying because oh. it's still people doing it. Yeah, well, and it's and that's there, right? And now I think, like, you know, what is, what is the fabric of our storytelling now? Like, what, is, what, is, what, you know, what are the conceits? What are the themes, right? Like, you look at it Spider-Man. versus all... Yeah, Spider-Man, just superhero movies, right? In yeah. general, like, that's the majority of films being made. There's, like, to a, to a clear uh, and irrevocable... Like, the scales have been tipped, you know what I mean? Like, that's where we are now, right? And, like, what does that convey about us versus, like, you know, the, all the President's Men where it's, like, two guys who just worked real hard were able to achieve something, you know, with the help of uh, a lot of other people. Sure, yeah. And uh, the support of an institution, you know, a prestigious institution, not the New York Times, but, uh, you know, uh, the Washington Post is still great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just love that because I love in the movie how they, like, snipe back and forth about the how the fuck the New York Times is beating them to the story yeah. and how, how much it pisses them off. Um, but... Now it is, it is, it's a magical, re- everything is this magical reality and humans almost don't exist in movies anymore except as props for magical creatures. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's sort of given, everything's given over to adolescent power fantasies about the chosen one. Yeah, and, and like, I think that's really dangerous. Uh, I, maybe that's a high, you know, it feels hyperbolic, but I do think there's something that there is a risk 
in that sort of mythology. Yeah. Well, uh, we won't know what the we won't know the damage for another fifteen years. Like yeah. we need to see the kids that grow up on these movies. Well, like look look at the you know like even if you look at like kung fu films, right? Even though to a certain extent that's their superhero culture, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, the masters, like the way they got there was lifelong discipline and exertion right. and practice and a, and a life of slow, steady improvement, you know, where you just work and work and work and work. And those people who work harder become something else. Right. Whereas in our culture, you get bit by a spider, you get bombarded by gamma rays. Well, it's Neo, right? You it, can download the information into yeah. your brain and you know Kung Fu. You press a button, you take a pill cosmic accident occurs or you're a child of prophecy right. but basically it's thrust upon you it's give it's a, a, a universe a gift from the universe right and then you just get to you you're an elite figure of greatness and i, th I think like anointed ones yeah anointed okay. ones and i think you see that in a smaller scale in our like obsession with acquiring fame as the as the end result and the means to it like right. to be famous you must be famous to do something fame worthy right you know what i mean like uh just be noticed you don't have to do anything it's not like i want to uh, i really want to invent this cool thing and you know like by the th through the merit of this invention maybe you know my name will become a thing you know like i'm edison right you know what i mean it's it does feel now it's like well i just need to get on camera and just say something controversial Right. And that's it. Well, but then now there's an entire industry built around that. Because yeah. if you do have your moment, then you can be on Dancing with the Stars, or you can be, um, you know, they're still doing... Uh, Unless we well, can talk about the integrity of reality within reality TV. Right. Right? You want to talk about that in relation to all the President's Men, where there's this focus on, once again, exposing what is the underlying objective truth of an event. And reality TV is like, it's basically just scripted television that's gets by by pretending it's not scripted yeah i've it's, been calling it fan fiction for the last 10 yeah, years it's fucking horrible like it's the worst like if, if it was presented to you as like hey I've, I've written a show and i've hired some actors take a look at it tell me what you think you'd be like this is the worst thing i've ever seen yeah this is this yeah, is the production values are terrible shameful the lighting's, lighting's awful monsters these yeah. people can't act at all you know it's yeah. so clear that they're reading lines of dialogue that are terribly written and so formulaic yeah. and like you just like this redundant storytelling mechanism in place in every episode of like, uh-oh, what's that? It would be great to do this thing, but it would be terrible if this thing happened. Oh my god, this terrible thing happened. Fight, fight, fight. We resolved it. Yeah. You know, and like, everything we're being fed these days is a distortion that is masquerading as truth, yeah, which well, I think again, is weird to me. It brings know? it back to Trump becoming president because of a reality show, like because he was—he's been performing for well, forty years. This guy's been doing this thing. It's who do we hold to account? You know, who do we hold to? NBC, Universal. Do we say like you put this guy on television? Right. You created a platform for him. You made him seem authoritative. You made him seem like he knew what he was doing. You made him seem powerful, and you made. You surrounded him with supplicants. Like, the whole show creates this fantasy, this power fantasy right. of, of Donald Trump's hilarious, clownish magnetism, you know, but like... And that he's always right. That he's, he's always right. He's unimpeachable. Fire. You know, this, he has this unimpeachable power that it sets up that this is his life, this is who he is. 
the, and the world operates according to these principles. You know, that he's tuned into some sort of like understand, higher understanding of how economy works, of right. how business works, how the marketplace works. And like, is there a, a response? Like network, man, fucking network is like, you know, another fantastic moment in filmmaking that like everyone should be required to watch all the president's men in network right now because yeah. you know and ned Beatty is the connecting tie That's between true. both god he was like in everything yeah in this quantum evidence. Beatty. he was in he was everywhere and everyone oh yeah he was he's so good he's such a good actor he's brilliant in network and he's brilliant as little bit as the florida uh, attorney general yeah. i think or is it attorney general not a, a district attorney or something like that i think he's a da yeah, yeah in uh dade county um but um who is it better is, is do we need to hold entertainment what to what standard of, of journalistic integrity do we hold our entertainment you know because I'm a fiction writer I, I act in fiction yeah uh, I believe in fiction I believe in the essential vitality of fiction and like how awesome and transcendent you know moments of the imagine of imagination can be we have to get back to being able to separate something that is that is presenting itself as truthful as actually being truthful and i and i think like you know if we if we want to if you care enough to like watch all the president's men and sort of investigate you know its potential legacy or it's like words you know thoughts for us to sort of take away from it is like the necessity and the the power of shining a light into a dark place and showing people what's actually there yeah and for people to know that's what's happening and i think that we just don't i don't think that we have it i don't think we have that in our society at this time yeah. i don't think one we've eroded the public's trust the public's faith in newspapers, in in news channels, cable news being the worst offender. Right. Well, the media uh, has succeeded in discrediting itself. Right? Yeah. I mean, because Fox going after MSNBC or CNN, then CNN disproving those claims just validates everybody's arguments. So there's this psychology now that's, that we're discovering where if you present someone with uh, disproval of their beliefs... It just makes them double down. Oh yeah, because, well, well, obviously you're telling me that because you don't want me to believe this. Well, have you ever told someone they're wrong about something? Yeah, that happens. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the same dynamic, just played out on a bigger scale. Like you meet people get defensive. Like this sort of like attack, 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 attack. This very personal sort of like uh, really. It's it's one thing to discredit someone who deserves to be discredited. You know what I mean? A story that is just. False. Yeah, calling it a lie is different it a, from pointing someone towards new evidence that yeah, may contradict here the belief is, system. Here is why this is true. You know, there's this, like, they constantly show, like, you know, people run these polls of, like, how, how true is Fox News or how true is CNN and, like, the percentage of facts or whatever like that. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. And I used to, like, be like, oh, that's like, illuminating. But that's less important than what facts. And, like, we yeah. need to be less interested in, like, bright, shiny numbers that point to a broad topic of interest and we have to get back to details and facts and like 
time. Like we have to be, we have to slow, we have to slow our, our, certain things down. I, I, you know, and I, even as I say it, I'm like, well, that's never going to happen. Yeah. We can't, we're not, we're never going to decelerate. But what we need to do is we need to find a space. We need, to, we need to get people on television and uh, people, producers behind the scenes who are going to put really, really thoughtful, principled people on who do not care who is right as much as what is right. Yeah. We're you know, seeing that, it now with, oddly enough, with comedy. Like uh, John Oliver and Sam B are doing it. They're, yeah, the closest thing. They're doing long-form journalism for television in, in that, you know, John Oliver will devote 15 or 17 minutes yeah. to something and B will do a segment or two on something or a couple of segments in, over a couple of episodes. But again... The people I, I I worry that the only people watching them are people like me who are already on their side, right? Yeah. yeah. Who are who are we convincing? Yeah. And I think that's because it's like you have to get you have to get non niche news people and news networks and and it's tough because like I do think like the younger generation, you know, the next generation of people who are gonna be taking over these eventually taking over these positions, right. you know, becoming the next room, room of editors. Assuming we still have the institutions by the time they're old enough. Whatever, whatever, like, Yahoo News, you know, that was a poor choice. That ain't going to be around. <laughs> that'll be gone. Yeah, that'll be gone by Wednesday. The NBC but, uh, Universal Comcast Microsoft Milkshake Machinery that we haven't discovered yet. Uber. <laughs> yeah. Franchise. New, Newsber. Uber uh, News. Yeah, Uber News. news. Uber. Um, but just, like, those people who are running those, the, whatever institutions arise to to you know, hold the megaphone. Like, they, they they have to... There has to be some sort of mandate, I think, that comes from them that we're going to try harder. And we're going we're gonna to stay calm. We can be indignant, and we can be outraged, but that the volume of our discourse shouldn't change. Yeah. That outrage is not a thing that requires volume. I think that's a lesson you, it takes a while to learn as an adult, too. Oh, yeah. Like... Yelling doesn't make you more right, though it feels great, and sometimes it's necessary that someone yells. But this is the thing, and I think like where we get, I'm sure you agree, uh, you know, because it's not a new idea. But you know how we get better as a society is like, uh, as people is like, to take the full responsibility for our actions, you know, when that unfortunate opportunity arises, when you have to. I mean, you know, it's like so to easy to take credit. Back. It's so hard to take responsibility. Yeah. I'd like um, to believe that the situation ever somehow arose that I would be. I can't. I'm trying, in my head. I'm like, well, what could I possibly do? But I would still want to be responsible because that's what you're supposed to do. And yeah, I know that it's the right thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's in minor ways in our personal lives, right? Our personal interactions when, like, you know, we can't make a thing or, or we do something we shouldn't have done, yeah. and like owning up to that when the time comes. You know, that's like we have to practice that. We have to get better at that as a uh, as people. But you know, I I yearn to see like a real, just great journalism. Like after watching all the presidents men, it makes you so hungry. Same with Spotlight, where you're like, this is so important. I mean, the the worst thing about Spotlight is knowing that Nixon didn't fall. Right. When you watch Spotlight, you're not watching the same story. You're like, yeah, the story came out. What you know, yeah. money was paid. The church is still the church. The church is still the church, yeah. and they still covered up who knows the full extent of it. Yeah. No, you it's still I mean? going on. I mean, you, you keep yeah. hearing about it. I think the good thing about Spotlight is that you're you're now, having seen it, you're more aware of the way things work. Mm-hmm. And the 
machinations that are possible. So I think, you know, it's a teaching tool rather than a historical recounting. It's it's both. But All the President's Men serves as this amazing lesson of what was done and how it was done and what was the result. And Spotlight is sort of the first step in that story for that story. I think Lawrence Wright is a guy that I feel like, you know, is is someone who's carrying on that tradition in a real way in a lot of ways. Like his book, The Looming Tower, on sort of the... The, uh, the path to 9/11. Yeah. yeah, the whys and wherefores of the of the jihadist movement, of the fundamentalist, the return of the fundamentalists in Islam, um, is just you know it's painstaking and it's super interesting, uh, and it feels like it has a lot of journalistic integrity. Oh yeah, you know, like to a certain extent, you're taking people on their you know at their word. Like, yeah, I mean, this sounds smart. It sounds sourced. I, I see a lot of annotations here, and you seem pretty, like a pretty decent dude, yeah. you know? It so, feels uh, like he's done everything possible to make sure that every page of it is as close yeah. to real, not just, you know, convincing, but real. And he does it in the Scientology book. Yeah, too, exactly. Right? Going Clear, you know, his, uh, his work on um, uh, a, a few different subjects, you know, he's a really painstakingly thorough guy and so like i i'm really appreciative of his voice out there unfortunately you know because of the you know the the kind of it's just it takes a long time to present those stories and because of how few people there are now we just rarely get them yeah you know so i i've if anybody's listening you know and you want to be a great journalist please do it (laughs) you know like if you're a young person go out there don't let anybody stop you you know pursue the truth at all costs yeah and if you um, need to know how to start it and you're wondering how it goes, watch All the President's Men. Yeah, watch All the President's Men and fall in love with a young Robert Redford, just <laughs> like I did. My thanks to Lucas Neff, whose new series Downward Dog will premiere on ABC in early 2017. You can watch his new thriller Fear Incorporated on iTunes right now, and it shouldn't be long before I Love You Both is also available on VOD. You can find Lucas on Twitter at RealLucasNeff, all one word, two L's, And you can find All the President's Men on DVD and Blu-ray from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also for sale and rental on iTunes and Google Play. It's one of the best American movies of the 70s and a genuinely thrilling procedural. Come to the Review Cinema this Thursday, November 3rd, where I'll be introducing a screening with none other than Brendan Canning of Broken Social Scene. It's his favorite movie and they've asked me to host and absolutely goddamn right I'll be there. The show starts at 6.45pm. Come say hi. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is Garage Freak. Thanks for listening.